to follow the path you set before us. Lord, hear our prayer and be our light. Amen. One of today's scripture readings is from Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 24 through 25. Hear the word of God. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The word of the Lord. Romans is a letter written by Paul to the Christ believers in Rome. The great tension between Jewish and non-Jewish people in Rome is Paul's reason for his epistle. Paul, however, is writing to the Romans, encouraging them to walk with one another in unity and in spirit. In times of great discourse, when it seems as though faith would be the last thing people would hold in their hearts, Paul calls on them to have hope. Hope. The word hope is a complex one. How is it that we are supposed to have hope when everyone around us is trying to convince us otherwise? We have no chance of accomplishing that. I don't think we can do that. The Titans will never win a Super Bowl. They are stuck. They are stuck. They will always be terrible, and they cannot improve no matter how hard they try. But is this really the way things are? It's easy to be hopeless. I promise if I'm walking into a test with the knowledge that everyone else failed the same test, I'm far less inclined to believe I will get a good grade, even if the test ends up being extremely simple. My loss of hope suddenly turns the easy test my teacher gave me into the SAT. Hopelessness is a cancer. It wraps around everything and everyone, and it does not seem to let go. If I see one person acting as though there is no hope, I will probably follow suit. Playing basketball when I was younger, there were many times where my teammate would say, oh no, that team is massive, before the game had even begun. At that point, our team had lost before the first tip. A lack of hope will kill everything else. This is what the world wants us to believe, but this is not what God knows to be true. An influential family in my life currently is the Russ family. For those of you who do not know, members of the Russ family are some of the most accomplished people I know. They work hard, are extremely intelligent, and most importantly, never give up hope. My cross-country coach, Roger Russ, went in true Russ fashion on a biking trip to Arkansas over spring break. This trip consisted of their family going biking practically all day for essentially eight days in a row. This seriously impressive break uh, unfortunately ended prematurely when Mr. Russ got into a serious bike accident, head over heels. He was told that he was not going to be able to get out of his chair for months. Well, that's what was supposed to happen. Coach Russ doesn't give up. A potentially life-altering bike accident, that's nothing for Coach. He was supposed to have to lay down for months, not even having the ability to sit up. A week after he started his long lying down period, 
I went to the Russ house to pick up their son, Mac, to hang out with some friends. My coach was already sitting up, not laying down in his chair to watch the Lego movie with his children. Did Coach Russ stop there? No way. Two weeks later, he was back at school, even though he could barely get around and had to, to lay on a couch during lunch, he was still there teaching his students. Not only that, Coach Russ would take his time to go all the way over to the pull-up bar in his room and do pull-ups all day long. Because Coach Russ never gave up hope, the possibility that he could get better always remained. Now, Coach Russ is obviously a legendary individual. So let's take a look at someone a little less legendary, me. <laughs> this year, I, for some reason, believed that I could prepare for my role in Julius Caesar, get in shape for baseball, and maintain good grades in school for the months of January through February. For the good part of five weeks, I was attempting to memorize hundreds of lines of Shakespearean poetry while often simultaneously taking notes in my various classes. Whenever I got a break in my play rehearsals, I would grab my baseball glove and sprint all the way over to the athletic building to get in as much baseball as I could before sprinting back to the theater to resume play practice just in time for my lines. One time, I even met my dad on the lacrosse field for a 10-minute toss during lunch. There were times when hope was hard to come by in this period. There were times when I would come home lamenting to my parents and telling them how hard it was and how I didn't know how I was going to power through. The day before opening night, I couldn't remember my lines. I felt hopeless. Despite that, the people around me convinced me otherwise. My family, my amazing family gave me hope. My friends gave me hope. God gave me hope. They told me I could. I could do it. That's all I needed, was a glimmer of hope, hearing that I could. Suffice it to say, I did what I set out to do. I kept my grades up, I memorized my lines, I contributed to the baseball team. It is easy to let hopelessness take over, because hopelessness often seems more powerful than hope itself. That could not be further from the truth. In life, there is so much hope. All it takes is a look around. The reason I know this is true is because we are all here at church today. We have questioned things. We may have felt angry or disappointed or even complete despair, but we come back to church because there is always hope for better. All in all, our hope is more powerful than anything else because it has gotten us through every tough time to where we are right now. To answer Paul's question, no one hopes for something they already possess. In Paul's letter, he explains how hope is most powerful when it is about something we do not have, or perhaps something we do not know for sure. Christianity is built on this principle. Even though I am a Christian who believes in God, I do not have full confirmation that God is real. No one in the history of their life on earth has had 100% confirmation that God is real. So, why do we believe? I believe because of where hope has gotten me. I can say that personally the reason I am optimistic about my future is because of how my life has turned out so far. My consistent hope always guides me down the right path, even if it is a different path than the one I expected. 
Perhaps not everyone here today fully believes in God, but we are all here today collectively hoping to believe, hoping to find our faith. All of us being here, whether we fully believe or not, is proof that hope prevails over our hopelessness. The fact that we are all here today to worship the Word of God means that our faith, our hope that we can find faith in something we do not know for 100% exists, causes us to come back to church because the effects God has on each of our lives are tangible, and each of us are here to explore that tangible love. God and Christianity in general are the most powerful forms of hope. What I ask of us today is to spread that hope. Roderick Russ can sit up and do pull-ups mere weeks after he's seriously injured. I can do a play and baseball and school at the same time. The Titans will win a Super Bowl, just not in the next few years. Praise the Lord for the hope that never ends. Look at the hope people possess all around you. Use that hope. Use the hope we have in the God that keeps us coming back here. As Paul says in Romans, we wait patiently for the things we do not have, and that we do, all in the faith and love of God. I'm Sarah Jean. Between the creation of the earth and how we know it today, there was a great flood. Disappointed with humankind and grieving its lack of honor towards God, God brought a great flood over the earth and destroyed all life. Before doing so, God called upon the righteous Noah to gather his sons and the animals and create an ark to live on and survive the flood. In the Bible, Noah is called blameless. He is an exception to humankind's capacity to dishonor God, and Noah is chosen to be the start of a new civilization. One of today's scripture readings is from Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 16. Hear the word of God. God said to Noah and to his sons, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Where is the Lord? Just when we gravitate towards an answer, we find another. We find the Lord's spirit in our mothers, fathers, and friends. We read child books depicting God in the blossoming flowers and the wintering trees. We're told God is both a clear, bright day and a dark, stormy night. Understanding these Sunday school lessons, I still beg, where is my Lord? Until these last few years, I could not have answered this. I would have responded with the lessons I had been taught, but never thought much more about it. So again, we may ask, where is my Lord? I'm sure Noah wondered this often while on the ark, but I don't think he had another choice. Sure, he truly could not follow the Lord's command and fight the flood alone, but his faith would not allow him to dishonor God. 
In the ultimate testimony of his faith, Noah built the ark and gathered what God asked of him and surrendered to God's mighty power. Afterwards, the Lord creates the covenant, a promise that God will never again flood the earth. So why do we feel so flooded now? Why do believers still endure tragedy and loss to such an extent that it is enveloping? Four years ago, my brother suddenly passed away, and I found myself consumed by that loss. Frustrated and confused with the Lord, I doubted God's plan and love for me. I often wondered, where is my Lord? Where was God when my brother died? Where was God when I was scared and felt alone? I know my Lord was not just waiting in this room for me to return on Sunday morning. I know God wasn't hiding in my confirmation Bible, waiting for the word to be read. Where is my Lord when I am desperate? The loss of my brother is the great flood of my life, but this grief does not dry up. Fortunately, by the grace of God and the passage of time, the rain settles and the sky opens. The water disperses throughout me, but the amount remains fixed. I have learned how to survive the downpours, and I have found that my genuine wonder of where is my Lord has been crucial to this process. When Noah ventures into the vast flood of Genesis and witnesses the power of the Lord, he too is confronted with the fear I felt after Will's death. He gathers his sons and the animals, and he builds an ark to fit them all, and he does as God asks him to, just like the people around me built a foundation of love and support in my mourning. Unlike Noah, I have not faced a literal great flood, but I believe that my response to seek the Lord after my brother's death is just as honorable. We are flawed, and God does not expect much from us, but God does expect us to show up. That is the covenant that God made between Noah and humankind. Whether we endure a literal flood or not, God presents us with our own battles each day, and we are only required to face them in faith. Remember when I asked, where is my Lord? Well, through this covenant, how miraculous it is that we do not have to search any longer. When the passage reads, I will see it and remember, God remembers to never forget the covenant, which should serve as a reminder for us to trust in God and his promises. In our own community, this experience was literal when a double rainbow blanketed Covenant Presbyterian Church just weeks after its storm of tragedy. Through my questioning of God's presence, during the storms of my life, when I have asked, where is my Lord? I have learned the Holy Spirit is revealed when we reveal ourselves to it. When we are desperate and feel alone, one prayer is all it takes to realize God's presence again. So although we are taught that God is with us always, especially through the covenant with Noah, when these storms arrive and our waters rise, let us respond, here I am as fearlessly and faithfully as Noah once did. Because the love between God is a promise, and promises must be upheld by all involved. The beauty in God's covenant is that it is one-sided. It is one of grace. It does not have conditions for us. And though it doesn't require anything, we should honor the covenant as well. Whether it be through the sacraments today, a prayer before dinner tonight, 
or simply showing kindness and grace to others in the name of the Lord, your covenant is affirmed. I choose every day to affirm my covenant with the Lord when I further my faith, not despite what happened to my brother and my family, but because of the Holy Spirit that was, is, and will be shown in the people who love me so long as I walk in faith. Let us share grace to all as God shares grace with us through God's covenant after the flood. Let it be so.